Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Sarah. And I'm Erica. So we are um, fairly early on in a new series about siblings in the Bible and the rivalries they have with each other for God's affection. Um, We have so far looked at Cain, Abel, and their lesser known brother, Seth, and as well as Isaac and Ishmael. So what sibling set are we going to be looking at today, Erica? Well, if you joined us last week, you heard a little bit of a spoiler for this week. We are looking at um, Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau. And this is going to be the first um, sibling set that is not only just siblings, but they're actually twins. Um, And there's some interesting things about just their birth, let alone the the rest of their their story. Um, So Jacob and Esau, like I said, are, are twins. And obviously, you know, we have twins. You have an older twin and a younger twin. Um, but as they are being born, um, and help me out, gang, it's Esau comes out first, right? There's a cool little thing that happens when Rebecca is pregnant with the twins. Um, it says that oh, they yeah. are struggling within her. So even before they're born, there seems to be a lot of rivalry between Isaac and Esau. And she you know, very much with all of the drama says, if it is to be this way, why do I live? (laughs) And and I got to say, as somebody who's been pregnant twice, yes, all of this, (laughs) like I didn't even, I wasn't even pregnant with twins, but there are definitely moments in pregnancy when it just goes on for forever and it's so hard and you're so uncomfortable and it's just like, oh my gosh, why is this so hard? And so Rebecca is just like, oh, if it's to be this way, why must I live? Because even in the womb, they're struggling together. Yep. So Esau comes out first. He's the firstborn, but shortly after him, in fact, it even says he's grasping his heel is his brother, Jacob. Um, so these two boys not only wrestle in the womb, but basically come out at the same time saying they both want to be first. It's right. Because I think uh, I, uh, not, uh, Jacob, like he, he partially comes out, right? Like his hand or something comes out. They tie a red string around him to show that he was firstborn, and then Esau pulls him back up into the womb, and Esau then comes out. I think it's the other Jacob way around. I, is I it? Esau yeah. is the one who's, like, the, Jacob is the one grabbing hmm. and pulling back in, because his name means heel grabber. Like, he, he's, he's, he's the okay. one who's, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so there's this, there's not only is there this, it's this tension between the two of them, but, like, that Jacob from the beginning is remembered as this guy trying to take what isn't his. And they even name him the name Jacob or Yaakov means something like he supplants or he grabs by the heel or shady schemer who steals stuff. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that Esau's name um, or, or his nickname Edom just means red and hairy because he's remembered yeah. being red and hairy from birth as well. So there's yeah. this like recurring, it, it's funny to me that like, again, that, that as the Bible just, it doesn't blush about it. It's about, yeah, they named their red hairy kid, red hairy guy. And they named their jerk stealing kid, jerk stealing guy. Um, 
and that, okay, that's how the story goes. Um, that that's going to happen throughout the Bible La- later on. Um, I think uh, in the story of Ruth, uh, the the two sons, their names are like sickly and wasting away. So, like, it, it, I guess it was yeah. a thing. Um, I, I'm glad that this is no longer a thing because I'm of the opinion that most brand new newborn babies look like potatoes. <laughs> so. I would probably have potato and tater tot as my sons. So yeah, yeah. I'm glad that's no longer a tradition. Yeah. Yeah. But so in any case, like even their birth story, the way it got remembered was setting up the tension about Mm -hmm. Esau is technically the firstborn. So in a culture that cares about who's the firstborn, Esau should be the one who gets not only the, legal inheritance and whatever wealth is there and the title and all that. But also in this family story, there's the question of who carries on the blessing from God um, and who will continue on to be the one that God will continue the covenant promise with. And so it's presumed that Esau is going to be that one. And there seems to be a little bit emerging of a tension between the two of them almost back to like Cain and Abel because back in the Cain and Abel story Abel is the hunter and he's favorite and Cain is the I don't hunt I just cook in the kitchen or I you know cook vegetables Mm -hmm. and that's not as good and Esau and Jacob have a similar tension Esau is the hunter who smells like he's been out in the woods all day and Jacob is the one who is less hairy and rugged and takes after his mom and um, there's this tension between the two of them that way too and yet there's going to be a reversal yeah, I think it, it definitely doesn't seem to help that Isaac and Rebecca play favorites. Yep. Yeah. That Esau, uh, you know, is a skillful hunter, and um, Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game. Mm-hmm. And Jacob lived in tents, and his mother loved him. Like, yeah. you know, sibling rivalry is not helped when parents encourage it yeah and in this case it's it's all the more twisted because each parent has picked a different favorite so dad favors Mm -hmm. esau mom favors jacob and um rebecca um boy i'm i'm looking for a good adjective to describe she she certainly has an intelligence about her but she's willing to she's almost like a character on like a soap opera or game of thrones or something like that in like she is plotting how can i make sure the son i love gets better um get get gets a better position in things so she seems to be trying to do everything she can to posture jacob in a better spot isaac is just just as pleased to let uh, Esau have the good stuff. And um, at one point in their adulthood, there is this other matter of lentil stew, right? Yeah. So um, how does it go? Um, So this starts uh, uh, Genesis 25, verse 29, that Jacob was cooking a stew and Esau came in from the field. And again, again with the drama, um, Esau says to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff. Mm, it sounds so good. And, um, you know, again, I think that's playing in with uh, Esau is named Red, mm-hmm. um, you know, and this is red stuff. And so Jacob, being the generous brother that he is, says that he'll give him some stew for his birthright. 
And in this case, birthright would be like Esau giving up claim to have whatever rights of inheritance uh, and presumably giving up whatever rights to the blessing, although there will be another moment of that later on. But yeah. so whatever whatever legal or, or financial interests he would get later on, he's willing to sell for a bowl of soup. <laughs> and we keep talking about the inheritance. I think maybe we should touch on that just for a moment so people are clear what that means. Um, the it's my understanding, so correct me if I'm wrong, that the eldest brother got like a double inheritance of what any of his younger brothers would get, correct? Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's assumed that it's a pretty sizable portion, that the, the pie is not equally distributed among sons, but like, yeah, that, that he would get like two-thirds of, if you got two sons, and then, yeah, yeah. The, the younger son would get a, a considerably smaller fraction. So it's not like, you know, like these two sons are going to, you know, they're splitting Isaac's you know, land and property and everything when Isaac dies, like Esau is getting a, a, a like you said, Steve, two thirds of it and, and poor Jacob's only getting one third. And so he's taking this chance. He's like, you're famished. You want stew? Sure. I'll give you stew, but give me, you know, give me your inheritance. So basically he's going to end up at least getting two thirds, if not all of it. Yeah. And to me, like, this is one of those moments where I'm, I'm glad we started way, way back with Cain and Abel, um, because in some ways, the 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 ideas that are set down there are, are played with in this story. But mm-hmm. like at, at the end of the Cain and Abel story, there's that haunting question, um, am I my brother's keeper? And the assumption is, yes, you are responsible for your brother's life. And um, that part of why it's so shameful what Cain does to his brother is he should have known you're supposed to take care of your brother and not be so obsessed with yourself or your own interests. And now here, Jacob is an utter schemer. And if your brother says literally, I'm famished, I'm about to die of hunger. If your brother is hungry, you're supposed to give them food for free because that's what you do for other people, especially for your literal brother here. And instead, Jacob uses this moment to make a deal, I mean, to, to scheme. And to me, like, this is a moment where we might go, all right, well, clearly Jacob's going to get punished. God's going to zap him with lightning or kill him or, you know, make him wander the earth forever, something like that. And instead, God has this way of loving stinkers. And now God's going to continue on, even though Jacob is an utter jerk. Um, and and the, the story will continue blessing Jacob, who is an unapologetic schemer and crook. Yeah, because I think the, the what gets me at right at this moment is uh, Jacob wouldn't even have to go into any more effort. You right. know, it's not like Esau's coming in and saying, I am starving. I'm about to die. Please prepare me some food. No, the food's already prepared. It's right there and it's stew. So it's not even like a grilled cheese sandwich where it's like, oh, I'd have to give you the food I was about to eat. And there's only a portion for one person. It's no, it's stew. There's like a big pot. So, you know, it wouldn't cost Jacob anything to just, you know, fill a bowl and to give it to his brother. Yep, yep, yep. And we could argue, too, that it's kind of foolish of Esau to accept a deal like this. I mean, he could say, you know what, if you're not going to give me something free, I'm just going to go into the fridge and see if we got, you know, a, a yogurt in there, something like that. Um, but, okay, primarily this is Jacob being a jerk, not Esau being dumb. Um, and I, I think that that's worth noting here, that, that Jacob is this utter schemer, and we might expect there to be punishment for him, but instead... To me, this is maybe this is the Lutheran in me being like this is this is a story less about 
um, morality immor- or immorality of behavior and more about the graciousness of God, even to people who are utterly selfish and crooked. And that's what Jacob does. So he, he, he basically forces his brother to mortgage his, his birthright in order to get a bowl of red soup of some kind. Earning once again his brother Esau the nickname Red, and at that point they take that as legally binding that mm-hmm. uh, Jacob will get the birthright from his brother. But Dad's not necessarily on board yet, right? Isaac isn't yet on board, so there there needs to be yet another level of scheming. Yes, and this one involves Rebecca, um, because Isaac is now old. His eyes, like he's, he's, he can't see very well. Um, so he, he knows that his time is short. So he calls his son Esau, whom he loves and is all like, Hey, you know that we share this love of game. Go out into the woods or wherever and go catch a wild animal and prepare it for me. Like feed me and then I will bless you. So, you know, Isaac is also hoping for like one of these delicious meals. Um, and so he's like, okay, cool. I'll go do that. And when he leaves, Rebecca, who has overheard all of this, is all like, mm, nope, nope. I want my son to get this. So luckily she's already prepared a kid goat and prepared <laughs> a, a, a meal that she knows her husband will like. She puts some sheep skin on her son. Um, Jacob, who is, you know, smooth and hairless and not like his brother, uh, Esau, who is hairy. And this manages to actually convince Isaac, even though Jacob and Esau do not sound at all like each other. And so sure enough, Jacob gets Esau's blessing. So like, I, I, this is one of those moments that I think is, is worth pausing and going. I find this really, really funny. <clears throat> and I, I have to imagine that the storytellers who held on to this story for us also got that this was funny as well as it advances the plot. But there is something like inescapably humorous um, about a grown man dressing up in animal skins to fake out his dad and pretend Mm -hmm. to be his brother, disguising his voice as well as he can and pretending to be his dad, even though something also at the same time terrible and uh, and awful is happening at the same time. He's, He's lying to his dad, tricking his brother out of the, the, the blessing and stealing the, the blessing and the covenant from God. And yet um, it, it, is, it just seems so ridiculous at the same time. That I, it seems to me a moment to say, it's okay to laugh when things in the Bible make us laugh. That's okay. And I think, I think what really makes me laugh is when Esau does come back, prepares his food, brings it to his father. And Isaac's <clears throat> all like, uh, who are you? I've already blessed my son Esau. Um, and, Esau's like, bless me too. Have like, are, do you have no blessings left? Did you give it all to my my terrible brother? And sure enough, Isaac then not so much blesses him, but like kind of curses him because he <laughs> run out of blessings. It it does seem to me like, um the biblical writers have a sense that blessing means something and is substantive and powerful and potent in a way that like we kind of treat like it is just big religious niceness. And, and maybe that's something that's worth recovering too. Um, that like we, we, I mean, we throw around bless you. Like it's just like good manners when somebody sneezes um, or 
use the word blessing almost like um, it's just a polite thing. You say some rhyming words before you pray, and that's all a blessing is. But in the in the biblical sense, there's like it's like conveying the power of life to somebody else, and that it is strong and powerful, and and it's it's non-revocable too. That seems an important piece in this story. That that there seems to be an assumption. Isaac can't undo the blessing. He can't say, oh, well, I blessed the wrong kid. Okay, I'll just hit undo and the blessing will go away. It will be rescinded from Jacob. Like it's a permanent thing um, that does not depend on Isaac's or Jacob's goodness or badness. And again, like it's it's something that is powerful that is not dependent on um, morality, which, which again, seems like an important thing to note when we sometimes want to turn religion into be good, God will give you a cookie. And if you're bad, God will give you a spanking. And instead it is entirely about the reckless generosity of God and this non-negotiable, relentless, irrevocable blessing and goodness, even when we don't deserve it. And again, like it seems important to me that as later Israel remembered stories like this, they had to blush and go, this is the guy we call our forefather. And they didn't edit this stuff out. They didn't say, no, he was only good and upstanding and fine. It was, man, he was a rotten jerk, not just to strangers, but to his own family. And yet God loved him anyway. That seems an important piece to hold on to in all this. Um, a- after this whole scene, as both funny and tragic as it is, um, Esau, rightly so, is upset and wants to kill his brother Jacob because he has now stolen both the theological blessing and the financial inheritance that would have been his in these episodes. And um, Jacob has to get out of town, right? Yes. And so this is when Jacob runs to his mother's Rebecca's family. He stays with his uncle Laban for a while, for quite a while. He gets married to a couple of sisters who also (laughs) have some sibling rivalry about number of children they're going to have. Um, And eventually he, he kind of gets tired of working for his now father-in-law Laban and wants to return home. And he knows that this is super risky because his brother Esau wants to kill him, but it's also time for him to leave Laban. So he packed up, his wives, his concubines, his numerous children, and all of his flocks and cattle and tents and possessions, and they start working their way home. And when they get close, he decides that, you know, this is this is too risky being such a large party. Um, I don't want, like, if my brother does attack us, I don't want him to get everybody and everything. So he splits his group up into two parties and... Um, that way, only one party is potentially going to be like attacked by Esau. I I think it it may be even um, it may be even uh, shadier what Jacob does. I think in addition to he he does split them up, but I think uh, in in Genesis thirty two, this is the the moment just before like the next day they're finally going to get close to where Esau is. He takes his two wives, his maids, and 11 children and crosses the, this little brook, the Jabbok. He sends them across and everything he's got. And then it says in uh, the, the text, Jacob was left 
alone. Like I, I, I think that the, the text is, is even less. I'm, I'm only splitting up my stuff into two halves so that only half will get destroyed. He puts all of it in front of them like a human shield. Like you all go ahead. Maybe he won't recognize that you're connected with me and he'll let you all live. I'm going to hang back here. Um, and this is, this is one of my favorite, favorite stories in the Bible is Jacob. there, left alone on the, the, in the night uh, at the, at the, the brook at the river Jabbok. And a mysterious stranger wrestles with him all night long. Um, and again, Jacob, who spent all his life tricking people, wrestling people, sometimes yanking their feet back into the womb um, and and being a jerk to people. And now sort of uh, somebody appears who gives as well as he does this this weird, mysterious stranger who is, seems at some point to be an angel. At one point, seems to be God. At one point, seems to be just sort of uh, ominous, mysterious, dark figure. But uh, as as day is breaking, uh, neither of them have won this wrestling match. And Jacob says to the stranger, um, uh, oh, no, the stranger says, let go of me because day is breaking. I'm not sure why that matters, but let go of me. Time for wrestling time to be over. And Jacob says, I won't let go unless you bless me. So, again, this is back to this, like, getting Jacob trying to steal whatever blessings he can from people. And... Um, my favorite part of the story is when this mysterious figure who is somehow also God um, gives him a blessing while at the same time punching his hip socket and putting his hip out of joint. And at that moment says to him, you're no longer Jacob, whose name means skatey schemer who um, steals stuff, uh, but you are now going to be Israel because you have wrestled with God, you've striven with God and with humans, and you have lived. And now God blesses him but at the very same time, Jacob, whose new name is Israel, walks with a limp for the rest of his life. Um, the thing I love about that is, like, I think for a lot of my life, I heard that detail and saw it as, like, God sending a punishment on him. Like, you'll get a blessing, but I'm going to hit you, too. And I think it's more like even, even the brokenness of him is a beautiful thing because now he can't run away anymore. Like, all Jacob's life has been spent running away when he you know, causes problems. He blows things up, and he alienates people, and then his solution is he runs away. And now part of the blessing he's given is now you can't run away anymore. There's not a need to anymore, but you don't have to be the person who, who steals as much as you can and runs away. You, you can't run anymore. Um, and finally, then, that sets the stage for a reunion. And it's a beautiful reunion. You know, this this brother Esau who wanted to kill Jacob for stealing his birthright, for stealing his blessing, for all these things after all these years. I mean, we're talking, I mean, 30, 40 years, they have not seen each other. Um, When they reunite, I mean, it's, I kind of picture and, and help me, maybe I'm, I'm making something up my mind. You know, those movie scenes where that, with, that real slow music as people kind of run to each other. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. It's like that. There's slow music. You know, um, rather than Esau still being mad and, and holding this grudge and wanting to kill Jacob, you know, and, and Jacob being afraid, they just kind of, they come together and they celebrate. And, and, you know, it's a reunited family again. Yeah, I, 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 I tend to think that Esau here is the bigger man. Oh, because yeah. Jacob is ready to like just hand over everything to his brother for his forgiveness and to, you know, so that Esau may let them live. And Esau says, you know, no, I I have enough. Keep mm-hmm. what is yours. Um, and, you know, Esau is all ready to just welcome his brother back with open arms, you know, let bygones be bygones. We're here together as brothers. 
Now, the, the, the business about these blessings that Jacob has received along the way, both that he has stolen and then been given after the wrestling match with God, sort of suggests that now the promise is going to continue. The covenant line is going to continue through Jacob. But again, we've seen this sort of, instead of that making Esau the villain exactly, it's, man, Esau actually has a moment to shine. And like you said, be the, be the more mature one, be the grown up. Um, and yet yeah, that God continues to overturn expectations by choosing the immature, jerky, shady, scheming, immoral jerk son, and yet will bless him and, and turn him into something good too. Later on, the um, the New Testament will will play with this story, especially Paul will will sort of use it for some midrash of his own in when in his writings, um, and talk about sort of that God's free to pick who God picks that that God's choice doesn't have to depend on you're good enough, you've earned it, therefore I reward you, but that God reserves the right even to be kind to stinkers and to uh, show favor and to choose and to work through the not good enoughs and the failures and the mess ups and even the downright unpleasant, you know, schemers and, and deal makers like, like Jacob is. And that we may want to protest. That doesn't seem fair. God should only ever dole out rewards to good people and punishments to bad people. And um, yet the, the God we meet in the scriptures seems to almost revel in the overturning our expectations beyond even um giving out rewards. It reminds me of one of my favorite lines from uh, a U2 song from um, it's off of their album, all that you can't leave behind. They have a a song called grace. Um, And uh, it it is, it is the weirdest thing that a rock band has written an entire song about the theological category of grace. Um, But uh, the line that sticks with me, um, it says, and it personifies grace like she's a person. And so it says grace, she travels outside of karma. And I love that idea that like we, we have this expectation that the divine or the almighty is supposed to be basically, you know, like the, the concept of karma, good things, you do good things, good things happen, do bad things, bad things happen. And that grace travels outside those lines. And that's always what God is doing in the, in the, in the Bible, whether it's Averting the expectations of the younger for the older, or even saying, "Yep, even this shady schemer and trickster, um, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna travel outside of karma and bless this one too." That uh, on on my best days and on my worst days, that's my only hope. Because all the other brothers that we've looked at so far, you know, Cain and Abel, um, Isaac and Ishmael, and you know, now these brothers, you know, like the younger brother never was like an evil you know, <laughs> yeah. person. Yeah. yeah. They, they didn't do anything to necessarily deserve the, you know, what God gave them, but they didn't do you know anything to not deserve it. Right. And you can say Isaac is morally neutral in a way that Jacob is not. <laughs> yes. yes, exactly. And so was Abel. Like, you know, they're, they're both morally neutral. And yet Jacob, who is that schemer and, you know, has gotten everything because of his scheming, God saying, you know what? Yes, you've schemed your way into this, but I'm still going to give it to you. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a big fan of Marvel. And Jacob and Esau definitely remind me of Thor and Loki and how they're portrayed (laughs) in the most recent Marvel movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like like how how weird is it that basically the Bible has has uh told the story of a whole people who trace their lineage back to Loki leaving poor Thor in the dust, right? Like that, yeah. 
that's the surprising reversal of the story of Israel in the Hebrew scriptures is imagine a religion based on Loki was a jerk. God loves him anyway. <laughs> Again, I think it's, it's interesting as later in the story of the Old Testament, sometimes Israel and, and the, the, the writers or, or, or prophets who were sent to it would remember that about their ancestry. And instead of um, running away from it or pretending that they were better than anybody else sort of owned it, man, we are a bunch of, you know, shady schemers who run away from things. That's our ancestry. And yet God hasn't given up on us. Um, There's something really beautiful about being able to own that in your own history and your own family storytelling and go, there's a lot of ways I've blown it. And instead of pretending it didn't happen, being able to say, and yet God held on me and loved me through it. it I, I think in particular about when you get to the later half of the book of Isaiah, um, there is this whole big chunk of chapters where the, the prophet's voice, when he's addressing the whole nation, he doesn't call them, oh, Israel. He keeps calling them, oh, Jacob, like the whole nation. And going back to that old name, the, pre, the pre-wrestling match name, um, Jacob instead of Israel, almost to remind them, like, look, guys, you, you guys are we're, we're the descendants of this schemer, and our 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 mo is to run when things get difficult instead of sticking around and doing the difficult thing. And yet, God won't give up on us. God will bring us home from exile. God will be with us. There's something powerful about remembering those old names and that duality. I think it, this story, as it relates to Jacob and Esau. Yeah. That I think that there's still more to say about this particular section of Genesis, but I think that that's a lot more to impact. So I think we should hold off for another week. All right. So more conversation next time around. Um, but uh, thanks for joining us as we continue tracing these stories of sibling reversals and rivalries here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye. Bye.